right, so as we continue our verse-by-verse study in 1 John, I wanna remind you of our theme. Okay, so I, I shared this with you when we kicked off the book study a month or so ago, and I wanna remind you again of, its, of how important it is. So what is our theme for this book series? And the theme simply is, there is more. Now the fact that there is more points to a certain kind of life that God wants all of his children to experience, and that is an abundant life. Jesus said this in John 10.10. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life, listen to this, and life, what? More abundantly. Straight out of the mouth of our Lord. He wants you to have abundant life. And so, yes, there is more. There's more joy and light. There's more victory and discernment and hope. There's more practical righteousness and truth and love. And there's more faith and confidence. So all of those, as you know by now, are topics that John writes about in this little letter in the back of your New Testament. And today, we're gonna tackle the topic of there is more victory through our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna start in chapter two, verse 12. And so John writes, I am writing to you, you may wanna underline little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. He says, I'm writing to you, you may wanna underline fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, please underline young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And then he wraps up verse 13, saying, I write to you children. Very interesting, it's a different Greek word from little children in verse 12. In verse 12, little children is technion. In verse 13, children is pation. So I write to you children, because you know the father. And then he repeats himself regarding the fathers and the young men. He says in verse 14, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning and I write to you young men because you're strong. And by the way, why are they strong? Here it is. And the word of God abides in you and thus you have overcome the evil one. All right, so John wrote to four groups within the Christian community. He wrote to the little children, the children, the young men, and to the fathers, all describe four stages of life and growth, all right? So just as there are stages of growth in regard to our physical lives, so there are stages of growth regarding our spiritual lives as well. So what are we gonna do as we simply teach the Bible simply? We're gonna go through and look at each stage, all right? So first of all, John wrote to the little children, the technion, we're gonna call this the early stage of spiritual development. All right, so these little children were like babes in Christ, spiritually speaking. All right, so if you're new to the Bible, you gotta know that whenever it was in your life that you turned from the darkness to the light of the world, Jesus Christ, that when you turn to him in genuine repentance and faith, that you were justified. The word justification uh, means to declare righteous. In other words, it's not your righteous or righteousness or my righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness that was, using Paul's word, imputed on our behalf. So we're saved, right, through faith in Christ. 
justification, instantaneous act, but now there's this lifelong process called sanctification, where God is setting us apart from evil to himself, where he's conforming us into the image of Christ. It's spiritual growth. And so these little children that he addresses in verse 12, they're like newborn babes. They're babes in Christ, spiritually speaking, and they needed to be reminded that the Lord had washed away, listen to this word, all their sins. And that's why John said in verse 12, look at it again. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And so knowing that all of our sins have been forgiven, listen, past, present, and future, that's a vital spiritual reality for all believers to embrace, especially new believers who may be prone to struggle with um, the assurance of their salvation. When I met the Lord Jesus when I was 17 years old, here's what happened. I didn't really have a lot of discipleship in the first year that I knew the Lord. And after one year of knowing him, I began to doubt my salvation. And thank God that there were people in my life that began to disciple me and share the promises of God with me. And one of the promises that I memorized, this is like, um, 27, 37, 47, over 30 years ago. It's a very simple promise and it's in the same letter that we're studying. We'll get to it later. First John 5, 13. Listen to how easy this is. John says, um, I, I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. I mean, how simple and how glorious is that? Not maybe so, not hope so. No, no, that you may know that you have, what? Eternal life. If you could lose your salvation, it would not be eternal. So John wants the, these little babes in Christ, so to speak, to stop struggling over that and know that all their sins had been forgiven. Second of all, John wrote to the children at the end of verse 13. Uh, we're gonna call this the adolescent stage. And remember, this is a different Greek word than the word for little children in verse 12. What does that mean? That means that this group, these children in the adolescent stage, they were more mature, spiritually speaking, than the little children in verse 12. They have a little more time with the Lord than the little children in verse 12. And as they continue to grow in that sanctification process, that I already told you about, they needed to be reminded of their relationship with God. How many of you guys know, I mean, how many of you know that you know that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship with the living God? It's an amazing relationship that we have. And that's why John said to this group at the end of verse 13, he says, I write to you children, Padion, because you no, you know, the word in the Greek is gnosko, you know the Father. And the word know there speaks of relationship. And so knowing that we have a relationship with the Father through faith in Jesus Christ, man, that is a vital spiritual reality for all believers to embrace, especially younger believers, right? 
who may struggle with the whole notion of how in the world can this infinite God, how in the world can this eternal God, how can this uncreated God, who's the creator and sustainer of all things, how can this spaceless, timeless, and immaterial, eternal God who spoke the universe and space, time, and matter into existence, ex nihilo, how can someone that big be my dad? But it's true, because Jesus, when teaching his disciples to pray, he said, I want you to start by saying this, our Father. Remember that? You guys want to say it? Those of you who know it, let's go ahead and say it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Praise God, right? He's the infinite, eternal, uncreated God. He's our daddy. I mean, isn't it glorious? This whole doctrine of the Trinity, is, it's beautiful. One God eternally existed in three persons. And so the Father, the Bible teaches, has adopted us through our faith in the Son, and they have given us this glorious gift of the Holy Spirit. And by the Holy Spirit, we cry out from our hearts, Romans 8, 15. Abba, Father. The word Abba there means daddy. Daddy, he's your daddy if you know Jesus. So third of all, John wrote to the young men in verses 13 and 14. We're gonna call this the young adult stage of spiritual development. Now, when nations go to war, they don't send their children, right? Can you imagine if, if our nation sent these precious little kids who helped lead us in worship into a battlefield? No, of course not. When nations go to war, they don't send their children. When nations go to war, they don't send their elderly. Who do they send? The who? The young men. That's who they send into battle. And you need to know that the young adults, men and women, that John addressed in this letter, they were going through the battle of their lives. But ladies and gentlemen, it was not a physical fight. It was a spiritual fight. Why? Because Paul tells us in another place that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so you and I, we're in a fight. We're in the fight of our lives. And it's not against a physical foe. It's against a spiritual foe. A very powerful, by the way, spiritual foe. That's the bad news. But the good news is this. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ, Christ's victory is our victory. What does it say in 1 John 5, 4? Quote, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. 
And so whenever it was in your life that you turned from the darkness and turned to the light of the world, Jesus Christ and repentance and faith, here's what happened. If this is you and this is Jesus, you became one spiritually with Jesus Christ. And his victory became your victory. You identified with Jesus Christ in his death and his burial and in his resurrection. That's what baptism, by the way, symbolized. And two Thursday, uh, two Thursday nights ago, we had the privilege of baptizing 19 more people here at Calvary, and we praise God for that. And so his victory, if you know the Lord, his victory, it's your victory. Listen, this is one of the reasons Jesus came, to defeat the devil. And so through his virgin birth and his sinless life, and his vicarious substitutionary death and his bodily resurrection. What did Jesus do? Jesus won the war. He won the war against Satan. He literally crushed, as prophesied in Genesis chapter three, crushed the head of the serpent at Calvary. And if you know Jesus, his victory is your victory. You just need to claim it by faith. And you need to walk in it by faith. You can't do this thing called the Christian life in your own strength. You and I, we need help. We need the help of the victorious Lord. And the good news is we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory because Christ is the victor. He's the victor. And so he won the war. But there's still spiritual battles that you and I got to face until the Lord comes back. Ladies and gentlemen, even though Jesus crushed the head of the serpent at Calvary, you gotta know this, his tail still swishes. You go, I'm not recommending this, you go cut a head head off a snake, what's gonna happen? That tail's still gonna be swishing. That, That tail's still swishing until the Lord comes back. And the enemy's bound for a thousand years in the abyss, and then finally, after a thousand years, is thrown into a lake of fire, but But my point is this, Jesus won the war, but you and I still got battles we got to face, and how do we win those spiritual battles? Well, good news. John told us how right there in verse 14. Look at the end of verse 14. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. Why? And the word of God abides in you. And thus you have overcome the evil one. Man, and guess what? Jesus gave us the example because he knew we were gonna be in a spiritual fight. Did you know as a man, he was in a spiritual fight when he was on the earth? And so if you haven't heard, the eternal word, the second person of the Trinity, took on human flesh and became fully human. And after his baptism, he went out into the wilderness. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted, and he did some spiritual warfare. Why? So he could show you. Everybody in this room and everybody watching, he could show us how to engage and successfully win spiritual battles. And so Satan came to him three times with three temptations. And how did Jesus respond? Three words. It is written. This is a powerful tool in the hand of a child of God. And so turn these stones into bread. It is written, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to a foolish test. Look at all of the nations and the glorious cities of the world. I'll give them all to you, Jesus, if you'll just bow down and worship me. Doesn't he wish? And Jesus said what? Get behind me, Satan. Some of you guys need to start saying that in your life. Get behind me, Satan. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And what happened in Matthew 4, 11? It says, after Jesus said, it is written, boom, it is written, boom, it is written, boom. Matthew 4, 11 says, quote, the devil left him. You know why? Because it hurts. Getting stabbed with the word of God. This is a powerful, powerful tool in the hand of a Christian but we gotta use it like Jesus used it. And so what does that mean? That means that, ladies and gentlemen, you and I have to understand that the word of God must abide in us. You see that in verse 14 at the end? He says, you're strong and the word of God abides. Can you guys say the word abide, please? Abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So this is a powerful weapon, but we have to have a firm grip on it. God forbid there's a police officer and there's a deranged killer and he's already killed two or three people and then he turns to the police officer and lifts up his gun. God forbid that that police officer doesn't have a firm grip on his weapon. Why? Because he may miss uh, his target. And so ladies and gentlemen, we have to have a firm grip on the sword of the spirit. What does that mean? That means, as I've, as I've taught you before, that we need to hear it. Thank, thank you for being here today. Thank you for tuning in. You wanna hear the word of God, praise God. And we not, not only hear it, but read it every single day. And not just that, but we need to meditate on it day and night. And not only that, we need to memorize certain passages. And not only that, most important of all, the thumb, we need to apply it to our lives. And it's when we engage all five of those disciplines, that's when we have a firm grip on the sword of the spirit. And as the word abides in us, we overcome the evil one. Do you see how that works? And so you need to apply this, ladies and gentlemen, in your life. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. And it starts tomorrow morning with a decision that you make, whether you're going to ignore the Bible or whether you're going to abide in it. And so he now writes to the fathers, and we're going to call that the parent stage of spiritual development. So who are the fathers in the church? The fathers were the seasoned believers and John reminded them twice. Look at verse 13. He says, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And then he repeats himself in verse 14. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. All right, so who's from the beginning? You guys know this. John 1.1, shout out his name. His name is? Jesus, thank you, there's one brave soul in the whole place. Jesus, He's, he is the one from the beginning. How do you know? Because in the beginning was the word. By the way, was the word, he precedes the beginning. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
Ladies and gentlemen, you gotta understand this. We gotta understand the nature of Christ, that since the incarnation, the real reason we celebrate Christmas, since the incarnation, Jesus Christ is forever one person with two distinct yet inseparable natures, human and divine. He is fully God and he is fully man. Theologians call that the hypostatic union. And so knowing Christ's true nature, true nature is a vital teaching for all believers to embrace, but it's especially important for seasoned believers, the men and women in the church who are in that parent stage of spiritual development. It's vital that they know the true nature of Jesus Christ. Why? So that they can teach sound doctrine in the church. So they can rightly handle the word of truth. Why? Because, ladies and gentlemen, don't you know that in this time, between 80, 90, and 95, there was the Gnostics, and they were attacking the church. False teachers were coming into the church, and they were telling people like you, 2,000 years ago, Jesus wasn't fully man. Jesus wasn't fully God. And they were preaching a different Jesus who cannot save you. So everything depends on this. Now, as we look at all the stages of spiritual development, I want you in your heart of hearts, honest before the Lord, because you can't fake him out. <laughs> Just ask yourself in your heart, what stage am I in? Spiritually speaking, are you in the early stage, the adolescent stage, the young adult stage, or the parent stage? Now, once you identify what stage that you're in, spiritually speaking, here's my encouragement, here's my exhortation to you. And it's two words, press forward. Press forward to the next stage. Don't give in to spiritual apathy. Keep moving forward in that sanctification process with the help of the Holy Spirit until you find yourself in the parent stage. And once you reach that stage, ladies and gentlemen, do what parents do. Pour yourself into other people. How many of you guys know it takes selflessness to be a parent? <laughs> And it's the same thing in the church. We need men and women in this church that are continuing to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord and they've reached that parent stage and they can rightly handle the word of truth and now they're pouring into the younger men and the younger women and the boys and the girls in this church. That's what we need. We don't need a bunch of people just coming and sitting and soaking and souring. We need people who are gonna be lifelong followers of Jesus Christ and pick up the responsibility and start serving with us as God does big things in this local church. This church is not about coming and sitting in a room and hearing Mike Wiggins talk. This church is about making disciples, and we're all involved in it, no matter what God has called you to do. So find out what God has called you to do and keep pressing forward in your spiritual growth. Now, as you do that, you're gonna have opposition. Welcome to planet Earth. And John addresses that right now in verse 15. 
He says in verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He says, as you continue to grow, listen, don't love the world. And if you're new to all this, you may be thinking, why not? Man, I love being out in nature. I love seeing beautiful beaches and majestic mountains and raging rivers. I love taking hikes to waterfalls and just standing there as it cascades down and feeling the mist. And I, I love going and watching the sunset. You know, my wife and I recently went and saw my mom and then we went to St. Pete Beach. By the way, the beaches over there are way better than the beaches over here. They're massive, they're wide, there's this beautiful white sand, it doesn't stick all over you or your kids as you leave. And so we were there and we watched a clear, clear evening and we watched that golden ball, I think I said it was a 90 million miles away and just going down, down underneath the Gulf of, of Mexico, I gotta make sure I get this right here, as just went down, 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 videoed the whole thing, good, isn't God an amazing creator and sustainer of all things? Yeah, he is. He is. And so I love the world, and you may love the world, and so the good news is John's not talking about that world. <laughs> when he said don't love the world, he wasn't speaking of God's good creation. He was speaking of Satan's evil system. See the difference there? Dr. Tony Evans said the world is an organized system headed by Satan that draws us away from God's love and will. There's three things coming at you, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the world is one of them. And the world's trying to draw you away from God's love and God's will for your life. With a little more detail, um, Dr. Robert Leitner from Dallas Theological Seminary said the world is Satan's organized system which is in direct opposition to God. It is, the ex it is expressed in the godless philosophy of humanism, the moral and spiritual system organized by Satan himself. Why? To draw humankind away from God. Now, if you're new to the Bible, put your seatbelts on. Because how pervasive, how widespread is this evil system that Satan oversees? Well, John tells us later in the letter we're studying. We know that we are of God and the, what's the next two words? You see it? The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You see, this is why we see so much evil and corruption all around us, so much perversion all around us. My wife and I um, recently went and saw The Sound of Freedom. And man, uh, you ought to go see that. It's uncomfortable. You'll be raging mad afterwards to see how ungodly and sick and corrupt and perverted uh, a lot of this world has become where they will abuse and use little kids for their own sick satisfaction. And so 
That's just one of a million different things that are going on in the world, right? And this is why there is so much evil around us. This is why every time you read the news, right, 95% of it's bad news. You ever wonder why? You ever wonder why when you, when you go to that, your news app, it's not one good story after another good story after another good story? It's because, ladies and gentlemen, we're in this world, and this world is fallen, and this world is influenced by Satan and demonic beings. By the way, if you wanna read more about spiritual warfare with a touch of humor and a touch of satire, I encourage you to get C.S. Lewis's little book, Screwtape Letters. And so don't love the world. But then in verse 16, he says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not from the Father. What does that mean when it's not from the Father? Pardon the bad English, it ain't good for you. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And for those of you who love the world, look at verse 17. The world's passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. All right, so John listed three temptations that come from the world. What are they? Well, the first one has to do with what's called, he calls, the desires of the flesh. And that often has to do with pleasure, pleasure. And so this temptation revolves around the appetites that we satisfy, and you gotta hear this, okay? Well, please, please, please tune me in. This temptation right here, it revolves around the appetites that we satisfy selfishly at the expense of our own good and the good of others. Did you guys hear, hear me say that? Okay, right, here's why. Is there anything wrong with pleasure in and of itself? Of course not. God created pleasure. The problem is, is when we selfishly satisfy our appetites at the expense of our own good or the good of others. We could talk a lot about a lot of things right now, but for sake of time, let's just touch quickly on two pleasurable things, food and sex. I think everybody in this room would agree that we thank God for the gift of food. <laughs> How many people just love food in, in, in the room, right? Look at all you guys. I'm the only honest one. I'm gonna raise two hands here. <laughs> I love food. It's a pleasure that God has given to us, right? Food's wonderful, but if we're overindulging ourselves at mealtime or if we're eating too much junk food, what are we doing? We're giving into the desires of the flesh selfishly at the expense of the good of ourselves and others. You're hurting others. You say, how am I hurting others? Here's how. Because when you keel over with a heart attack, you're gonna hurt the hearts of people who love you. Oh, pastor, I'll die on whatever day God has appointed for me. That's true, but he'll move the day to an earlier date <laughs> if you keep making wrong choices about your health. Galatians 6, 7 is the law of life. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. You can apply that to almost every single area of your life. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man or a woman sows, that is what they're going to, God promises it, 
That's what they're gonna reap. And so, by the way, I read a great article this morning and got questions called, Is Gluttony a Sin? I'm so grateful for that ministry because they explain things so, so clearly with the word of God as the basis. Is gluttony sin? Um, let's talk about sex for a second. Sex is wonderful within a loving marriage, right? But if we get involved in sexual activity outside of marriage, we're gonna cause a world of hurt. Listen, please, please, please don't believe the lie that you see on Netflix or whatever uh, TV show that you're watching that glamor glamorizes sex outside of marriage and everybody's so cool and hip and everything ends well. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You get involved in sex outside of marriage, you're gonna cause a world of hurt to yourself and you're gonna cause a world of hurt to others. You say, how in the world am I hurting others? You're pulling down the person you're sleeping with, spiritually speaking. You're hurting that person. Now, I want you to understand, keep these things in balance, God is not a cosmic killjoy. He's the one who invented pleasure. And so he's given us so much to enjoy. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so God has given us all of these gifts. And so what does he want us to do? He wants to enjoy them and not abuse them. And so here's what you gotta do. Think of all the good gifts that God has given us. My wife and I um, just recently read an article um, uh, put out by some women's blog about 10 reasons why kids leave the church. So all these kids are in church because they have to go to church and then they go to college and then so many of them are gone and why? And there's 10 reasons that are listed and one of them is that these kids feel like the home they were raised in and the church they went to was too restrictive. Always saying no, 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 no. Well, I wanna remind you of the other side. God says yes, 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 yes to thousands of things in life. And so let's thank God and be happy and blessed and engage in and enjoy family and friends and get-togethers and getaways and sports and hobbies and art and music and good food and the great outdoors and love and marriage and companionship and sex. But just know if you go beyond the boundaries that God has set in his word, and you try to selfishly satisfy those appetites at the expense of your good or the good of others, you're gonna do a world of hurt. You see, God is not a cosmic killjoy. God's a good, good father, and he gives us all of these gifts, but why does he bring boundaries into my life? Because he loves you and doesn't want you to get hurt. Thank you for two amens there. Now, what are the three temptations from the world? The second one, has to do with the desires of the eyes, and that often has to do with possessions. This is the one that America, I think, falls into more than anything else. And so this temptation revolves around materialism and greed. This temptation tries to get you and I to believe that more stuff equals more satisfaction. And so we look out there, wherever there is, right? And we see all these things through our eyes, right? And we want them and we want them and we want them because we think that those things are gonna give us this deep satisfaction that we're looking for. And so if I only had the larger home, if I only had the fancier car, if I only had the designer clothes, if I only had more bling on my ring, if I only was a 
billionaire, then I'd be satisfied. Can I just say, no, you won't. Some of you right now are thinking, yes, I would, Pastor. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. The first American billionaire, John D. Rockefeller, was asked, how much money is enough? He replied, quote, just a little bit more. That's the insatiable desire of the human heart trying to fill the void, ladies and gentlemen, that only Jesus Christ can fill. Jesus is better than anything or anyone. And he fills that void. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. I wonder how many people in this room are watching can really say, yes, Lord, I am seeking first in my life the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this stuff will be added to you. All these things will be added to you. What's that? It's not your greeds, it's your needs. And so, man, if you put Christ first and his kingdom agenda first in your life, guess what? He'll meet all those needs. And if you'll give your life to Jesus Christ, he'll fill that void that only he can fill. What are the three temptations from the world? Third one has to do with the pride of life, which often has to do with position, right? So pleasure, possessions, and position. So this one kind of goes like this. Oh man, if I only got that big promotion, then everybody would look up to me. Then I will have arrived. Then I will be superior. Is there anything wrong with getting a promotion? No, but it is wrong to have the wrong motive for why you want the promotion. You see, as you continue in the sanctification process, going from stage to stage to stage, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna get less convicted about things you do and say because you're growing in the Lord and you're gonna become more convicted about why you do and say certain things. The Holy Spirit gets in there and reveals our motives. And so if you want that promotion for selfish reason, for self-centered reasons, then of course it's wrong. It's the pride of life. And when we're tempted to be self-seeking or self-centered, all we gotta do is remember Lucifer. Just think about him. How'd that end? Did it end well for him? I mean, Lucifer was this beautiful, perfect angel. He was a master musician. And probably, we don't know for sure, but probably he led the worship of God in heaven. But then he got kicked out of heaven. Why? Because he got enamored with himself. Me, myself, and I. I, Itis. And then he led a rebellion, an angelic rebellion against the true God. And the beautiful Lucifer became this evil, twisted being we call now Satan. Why did he fall? Pride. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, you guys know this verse, and a haughty spirit before what? A fall. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so instead of following Lucifer's example, we ought to follow the Lord's example, Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Ladies and gentlemen, the way up is down, the way down is up. And that'll make sense to you as you think about it a little later, but I gotta keep going, so... By way of review, what are the three temptations of the world? The desires of the flesh. That's a pleasure-seeking mindset. 
that wants to, keyword, selfishly satisfy our appetites at the expense of our good and the good of others. And then there's the desires of the eyes. That's a materialistic mindset that thinks that more stuff equals more satisfaction. And then there's the pride of life, and that's a self-centered mindset that wants to be exalted in the eyes of others. So as I wind down, I want to say this. Every believer has two natures within them. Two natures, every true believer. One is called the sin nature. And we got that from our parents. Thanks, mom and dad. But they got it from their parents, who got it from their parents, all the way back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. You say, you believe in a historical Adam and Eve? You bet I do. And so we all have this sin nature inside of us. But good news, when we turn from the darkness and we turn to the light of the world in repentance and faith, the Holy Spirit came in and gave us a new nature. And so the bad news is we all have this sin nature. The good news is we all also have, believers, a new nature inside of us. Someone said it's like two dogs are living in us. A good dog and a bad dog, and they're always fighting, fighting, fighting every single day. The question is, which dog's gonna win? And the answer is the one you feed the most. And that leads you to your last point. The nature that, we, that will win the battle within us is the nature that we feed the most. So ladies and gentlemen, as Christians, if we're feeding the old nature, right, indulging the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, then we're, we're gonna be carnal Christians and we're gonna be constantly frustrated and constantly defeated and miserable. But if we make a different choice and we starve our old nature by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and making no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts thereof, Romans 13, 14. If we starve the old nature and we feed the new nature, how? By desiring the pure milk of the word that we may grow thereby, 1 Peter 2, 2. And by hiding God's word in our hearts that we might not sin against him, Psalm 119, 11. If we will starve our flesh, the sin nature, and we will feed the new nature inside of us, we will have the victory. Christ won the war. And this is the victory, even our faith in him. His victory is our victory. But in all these battles that we face in life, we can still have the victory if we will just realize no more provision for the flesh. I'm putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and I am going to get the word of God to abide in me. I wanna close by saying this. Either, this is not original with me, either this book will keep us from sin or sin will keep us from this book. Tomorrow morning when you wake up and the alarm goes off, choice is yours.